We do praise the Lord for our military and uh, so thankful, appreciate uh, the work that went into this morning. And uh, Brother Mike, thank you for allowing us to to use uh, parts of those videos. Sure do appreciate that as well. And then to all the families that serve and have those in service, thank you very much. And we hope that in some way this expresses our appreciation uh, for you and for what you've done. So keep your place in Joshua chapter 24. Let's turn right now to Joshua, Joshua chapter 1. One of the one of the favorite excuses of my kids when they've been busted, which is frequently because they're like me, um, is, well, they made me do it. They being the other siblings. My, my favorite is when one of the older blames one of the younger. <laughs> now this is... This is amazing. <laughs> so a child walks into me, or I walk in to see that child, and I say, what are you doing, or why did you do this? And then they will name one of their siblings who is five, ten years younger than them, and say something like this, well, they, they told me to. <laughs> and I want to ask, when did you suddenly become so compliant? <laughs> Because your mom is telling you to do stuff all the time. I'm telling you to do, okay, you know, where I, you know how that is. You say, what, what do you mean? What do you mean they told you? Or they, they made me do it. And I'm saying, so they literally put you in handcuffs and beat you with a baseball bat until you did, until you did this act of disobedience. <laughs> and the answer is always yes. And then no, eventually, eventually we get there. The, the idea, the, the point of that excuse is to alleviate them of responsibility for how they're choosing to live their life. You know, they, they, we're always, it's human nature. We're always looking for someone else or some system or some circumstance that we can blame for why our life isn't what it should be, isn't what it ought to be. Now, now, please understand the difference between there are things that if, if, we, if we could make them better, we certainly would. I'm not, I'm not talking about opportunities that God hasn't allowed us to have. I'm not talking about things that aren't in your control because obviously there are circumstances and tragedies and injustices even in our nation where there are certain things that are outside of the individual control. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about those decisions that while you can't control everything, you still have a certain amount of control over your own life and trying to get my children to understand in their interaction with each other and then with Andrea and I as their parental authority that you can always be looking and trying to find someone else to blame for why you didn't do this like you should have, or you did do this which you were told not to do, or you know you shouldn't have done. But the truth is, you need to learn how to take responsibility for your life and stop blaming your bad decisions on other people. Because there will never be a shortage of bad people to influence you 
and there will, there will never be a shortage of wicked people or incompetent people to blame. But if we're going to be the kind of people that God wants us to be, then we have to get to the place where we understand what is being said in Joshua chapter 24, which, if I can say it this way, is a big old, big old dose of personal responsibility that you, as an individual, you, as a citizen, you, as a child of God, are responsible for the decisions that you make. You're not responsible for what people do that are above you or people for what people do that are around you, but you are responsible for the way that you live your life. And there are far too many citizens, there are far too many Christians who are blaming their indifference or their apathy or their lack of investment or their lack of a walk with God on political leaders. And if our nation is going to in any way, shape, or form move in a direction that pleases God, I personally don't believe that it starts with a leader. I believe it starts with an individual that's willing to take responsibility. Prime example, Moses. Besides Jesus Christ, maybe, you can make a strong case for this, maybe the greatest leader ever. I'm not, I'm not saying there's not others, but when you look at what he had to deal with, you look at what he had to overcome, you look at the odds, you look at the amount of people, you look at the lack of infrastructure, and how this man, even through his own fear, how he led thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe over a million people out of bondage into freedom. You say, well, God did some miraculous things. Right. But there was still heavy involvement from Moses. Great leader. And yet the entire nation rebelled. Didn't they? All of this opportunity for Canaan land. All of this opportunity for freedom. All of this opportunity for becoming a reality what your fathers and grandfathers and your mothers and grandmothers and their parents and their parents had dreamed of in bondage for centuries, you get to experience that. And so it wasn't the lack of, of a good, it wasn't the lack of a strong, it wasn't, a lack, it wasn't the lack of a right leader that caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, that caused those entire generations from 20 years old and upward to die under the judgment of God. It wasn't, it wasn't poor leadership at the top. It was individuals that I believe Joshua had in mind because he was a, he and Caleb were the only two spared that judgment. And Joshua had it in his mind that a leader can lead in, in whatever direction he's going to lead in or she is going to lead in. But at the end of the day, individuals must be willing to lead themselves. And today we have far too many Americans and we have far too many Christians and far too many members of, of, of a church family like this and participants in different uh, communities and organizations. Far too many people that want to blame their life and their poor behavior on other things rather than looking themselves in the mirror and saying, I have been given the capacity. If no one else, I have been given the capacity to lead myself. Young people, please get this. 
You can't control what your teachers do. You can't control what your friends do. And there are far too many young people in schools and on teams and in colleges that are saying, well, they're teaching this and they're saying this and they're doing that and they're living this way and they're engaging in these substance abuse and they're engaging in, in these promiscuous behaviors and they're getting on these social networks and doing these perverse things. You've got to understand, young people, you can lead yourself. You are capable. I think about David standing there before Saul and before an army of his brothers and other men who were cowering in fear. And they were all skeptical of him. And at that time, please get this, David had no ability to lead them. You know why? Because they didn't trust him. He had the ability to lead himself. And because he was willing to lead himself, God brought about a great victory against a formidable giant that grown trained soldiers were afraid of. And because he was able to lead himself, he was eventually able to lead a nation. Young people, look at me. God will use you to lead others. Young ladies, God will use you to influence and to lead young men You are men. God created you to be men. And one day God will use you to be men in a nation that needs godly men. But you got to get this. You'll never be a leader of men if you don't first learn how to lead yourself. Some dads that need to get a hold of this. Some moms that need to get a hold of this. I believe that's what Joshua understood. You can have a, a leader but you got to be willing to lead yourself. I want you to notice, first of all, this. The godless leader, if you're taking notes, if you're trying to follow along this way, here's the first point. Normally, sorry, I need to give some explanation. Normally, I just, I pick a passage. But I want to I point out several things to make this point. So we're visiting several different passages this morning. It's very topical, still rooted in the principles of Scripture First of all, point number one, the godly leader and the godless individual. The godly leader and the godless individual. Uh, Joshua 1, verse number 1 through 9. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan now and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon That have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Notice verse number 10. Then Joshua commanded. 
You know what Joshua's authority was based on? It was based on the calling and the placement of God. You know what the direction Joshua was leading the people was based on? It was based on the direction and the leading of God. You know what the philosophy and the principles that would guide Joshua's time as leader of the nation? It was the authority of the word of God. Everything about Joshua's leadership, from his position to the direction to the philosophy and the principles that would make up his cabinet, if you will, all of that was based upon the influence of God. Joshua was not a perfect leader. He was not. There is no such thing outside of Jesus Christ. But Joshua was a godly leader who strove, even in his imperfection, who strove to lead people to pursue God and to pursue his will. And Israel experienced great success under Joshua's leadership, a godly leader. But within the nation, there were godless individuals. Turn to Joshua 6 getting ready to go to battle against Jericho, Joshua 6, verse 17, Joshua speaking, and this is what God has told him, and the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the accursed thing, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. The practice in, in wartime, was, the compensation, was that you benefited from the spoils of the foes that you vanquished. But for this first battle, God wanted to set a precedent that the first fruit belongs to me. I'm the one who's giving you this. I'm the one who's prospering you when you fight the battles I tell you to fight. And so everything is to be condemned. The silver and gold, those precious metals, they need to be brought into the temple without exception. So everything is either destroyed or it is brought into the temple with this first battle. There are no exceptions. You'll be able to benefit from the bounty because there are many more battles to come and because I'm with you, many more victories to come. But for this battle, this, these sacred things, these precious metals are laid aside. Everything else is to be destroyed. It was a clear directive that the godly leader made abundantly obvious and clear in the way he communicated it. No one could say I didn't understand Chapter 7, verse number 1. But the children of Israel, oh, this is so important. The children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And how many, how many individuals that are listed here, how many individuals actually oversaw or committed or thought up this plan? Just one, Achan. It, it gives his lineage to show you which tribe he's with. And the implication is in other, in, later on in, in chapter seven and eight, I believe, or that the implication is that his family would have been bol- involved in the deception. They would have participated in it some way. But I want you to notice what verse number one says again. The children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. 
God holds a nation accountable for all of its citizens. Look, brothers and sisters, we have great evils that continue to happen in this nation. I don't, I don't say these things all the time. I'm not, I'm not trying to push a men buttons, but there are great evils that happen in this nation on a daily basis. There are injustices, there are cruelties, there are murders, and there are indifferences, and there are greeds, there are violences, there are perversions that are endorsed and participated in and enabled, and a blind eye is turned to them every day. And you could say, well, I've never done these things, but we are a part of a nation where those things happen. And God holds a nation accountable. But I want you to notice, there was only one man in this nation that did it. You had a godly leader who was following God. He gave a clear directive, and yet this man did not obey. I don't know, I'm, I'm not, when I say godless, I'm not saying that he wasn't saved. Because saved people make bad decisions, don't we? I am saying this, this decision was a godless decision. You have a godly leader leading in the right direction, communicating clearly, being right with God, leading the people the way that God said, and then you have an individual over here that says, I'm not going to do the way that I've been told to do, how I should do, what I want to do, and I don't know everything that motivated him, but maybe thinking about the poverty that they endured, maybe thinking about just living off of the basic necessities in the wilderness for however long he had survived all of that. I don't know what motivated all of that, but he set his eyes upon that which God had forbidden in that moment. And it was an act of rebellion against the direction of the godly leadership, against the directive of the godly leader. And in turn, it was an act of rebellion against God himself. Here's the first point. A godly leader cannot make godless people obey. When someone sets their heart to disobey God, a godly leader can't make them obey God. doesn't matter how good you are. In our next example, the roles are completely adverse. Turn, if you would please, to 1 Kings chapter 21. We read about a king of the northern kingdom named Ahab. Now, Ahab was wicked. Ahab was a dog. He was a whining, pansy, murderous dog. And his wife was even worse. In fact, as you read the Old Testament scripture, I didn't look up these references But as you read through Old Testament scripture and the accounts of the kings, you find that the evil Ahab and Jezebel committed is held as the standard for evil. In many, at times, it's referenced Ahab, I believe. You can double check me on that. Ahab was a godless leader. Look at at 1 Kings 21, verse number 1. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Naboth is a citizen of Israel, and he owns a piece of property, a vineyard, that is very close to the palace. And Ahab has access to see that. And so in verse 2, Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, 
that I may have it for a garden of herbs because it is near unto my house and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. Now that all sounds good. I, I, listen, Naboth, I, I really admire this vineyard. I enjoy the view of it. I sure would enjoy being able to walk in it every morning or every evening. It's very pleasant. It's very close. It's, it's one of the best vineyards in all of my travels that I've ever laid my eyes on. And Ahab sincerely was coveting that vineyard. Isn't it amazing that no matter how much you have, you can always want more? It's not as though he was experiencing a shortage. This, this wasn't the land of the free. This was a king who, as we see in this text, basically took whatever he wanted. It's not as though he didn't have other things he could have enjoyed, but he sees this thing that he doesn't have and he wants to enjoy it. And so he goes to Naboth and he says, hey man, can we work out a deal? I'll give you whatever the price is in money, or I'll be, able, I'll be willing to trade you a vineyard that I, I view some of my vineyards better, perhaps, but I'll be willing to trade you for this vineyard. I really want your vineyard. It sounds innocent, but it's not, because God had forbidden, forbidden his people to sell or trade their inheritance. You see, when the children of Israel back in Joshua came into, the, came into the promised land, eventually the land would be divided up among the tribes, and then in the tribes it would be divided up among the families. And it was important to God that the family maintain the inheritance that God had given them. They weren't to use it to profit and by selling it and making a big buck for them and just go off and do whatever they want. They had paid a great price to have that land. God had preserved that land, and he wanted them to hold on to the parts of of the land that he gave them, and so Naboth, as a godly man, recognized this, that this land isn't for me to trade, it isn't for me to sell, I am under the authority of God, and as the king over the northern tribes of God's people, Ahab should have been aware of it, but I don't believe that ignorance was the problem, I believe that a hard heart was the problem, no, I know, I know what God says. Isn't it amazing to you the number of leaders that claim to have faith in God but then make decisions all the time that are in complete opposition to obvious truth in the word of God? So Ahab tells Naboth, come on, work out a deal. Naboth says, under the authority of the word of God, I can't make this trade or this sale with you. There, it is impossible. Why? Because of my faith in God. I don't mean, there's nothing about Naboth that is disrespectful towards Ahab. Again, you can disagree without being disrespectful. You don't have to approve of anything. You can still treat people with dignity and respect. And Naboth was very respectful, but he stood his ground. The line had been drawn, and it wasn't a line that he himself drew. It was a line that God had drawn. And he understood, I cannot violate this line. Whether I completely understand it, or you completely understand it, or agree with it, I don't have an option. I don't have another alternative. If I'm going to be true to God, if I'm going to obey him, if I'm going to live my life to please him, then I cannot violate this command. Here, point number two, we have this, the godless leader and the godly individual. The godless leader was clear, I'm going to do whatever I want, and you should just 
cooperate with me. Naboth wouldn't. You know how bad this gets? Ahab goes upstairs and begins to pout. He won't eat anything. His wife, Jezebel, comes in and sees him pouting and basically calls him out for being a pansy. Aren't you the king? What's your problem? What? You can have whatever you want. I'll take care of it. So she goes to the leaders. If you have a problem believing that leaders are capable of doing underhanded things to get their own way, history's full of it. You say, what are you saying? I'm just saying they're capable. <laughs> she goes into the elders of the city that Naboth, the district, if you will, that Naboth was a part of and says, hey, I want, you to, I want you to get a couple of sons of Belial. She's not even pretending here. Just get some of the, get, get some of the Satan worshipers. Get some of the people that obviously are like us and that hate the things of God and don't care. Get some of them to pretend to love God. And I want you to have a public hearing. And you bring Naboth before the city. And you have these two witnesses accuse him of blaspheming God. And then have him executed. And they did. You say, did it matter? Did, this isn't the main message. There'll be another time to deal with this principle and this truth. But was it, worth Nab- was it worth Naboth's life? If God says it's worth standing for, then it is worth dying for. Look, look it's easy to say that right now. I understand that. But if God says it's right to live for, then it is, it is worth dying for. And so... You have a godless leader trying to control a godly individual, even to the point of taking his life. But as you read this account, you know what Naboth never did? He never compromised. He never said, okay, okay, I'm sorry. You don't even have to pay me. Just take it. Spare my life. He never compromised. It was a godless leader, but a godly individual. Here's the second point. There is no leader so godless that he can make the godly leader disobey. Excuse me, make the godly individual disobey. Let me, let me give them both to you together. There is no leader so godly that he can make the ungodly individual obey. And there is no leader so godless that he can make the godly individual disobey. Let me give you the statement in another sentence. Here's a statement. How they lead does not determine how you live. How they lead does not determine how you live. The direction they lead does not determine the direction you live your life. Give you a couple of thoughts and then we'll be done. Number one, the lead, who leads? You say where? Anywhere. Who leads does matter. It matters. There, there are people that can say and they can think, whether it's about an election or about a business or about a church or about whatever, they, they can think this, think it in the military, think it in maybe on a team or in a classroom or on a school board or on a committee. You can say, the, the leader really doesn't matter. No, the leader does matter. Because the leader is going to determine the direction. 
the leader is going is to set the tone when it comes to a president, when it comes to our Congress, when it comes to our governor and our state representatives and our, and our local offices. The leaders matter because they're going to have something to say about the direction our nation is going, about the policy directions, about the things that will be a priority, about the positions, the public official positions that we'll take on certain issues. You see this. You see how, depending on who's in power, the position goes from over here to over here. And that's a result of who is in power at the time. The leaders do matter. And the direction of leaders, they do have consequences for a nation. They can either make it easier or more difficult to follow God. But what's true of a nation is also true in a home. It's also true in a church. It's also true at work. It's also true at school that the kind of leader that is in authority and in power can either make it easier to follow God or more difficult to follow God. And we recognize that. But the second thing is this. The leader does not decide individual direction. I love what Peter said in Acts 5.29. The religious establishment had told them to stop preaching the gospel. And this is what Peter said. We ought to obey God rather than men. You know, people, people want to go back to Romans where it says, let every soul be subject to the higher power. And right, there is an authority that God has given to government that citizens should submit themselves to. But there comes a time throughout history, and it's happening in this nation today, and it will continue to happen where government begins to step over the lines where they cease to have the authority of God and they begin to infringe upon the ability of individuals to follow God as they should. And there comes a time when individual women and men have to decide, am I going to obey men or am I going to obey God? Now, whether you're aware of this or not, it's already the case in many countries. And there will come a time when me simply teaching biblical truth about gender and about sexual experience, not being hateful, not being nasty, not being crude or rude or mean, but when just preaching what the Bible says, where in many communities outside of the U.S., that is labeled hate speech, and they're trying to bring it into our own communities. We're moving in that direction. And there comes a time when pastors have to say in what they preach and whether or not they'll cancel their services. We ought to obey God rather than men. That's not just true of me. I have that responsibility as a pastor. But you have that responsibility as an individual, as a Christian. You see, this is an amazing power God has given us. You know what it's called? The power to choose. Oh, God chose Joshua to lead Israel. I believe this. I don't think I'm going out on a limb on this. I believe this. And I think most of you would agree with this as well. I believe God chose me to be the pastor here. But you still have a say in the direction you live your life. In the direction you live your life in this church and as a part of this family, you have, a pow- you have the power of choice. 
You have the ability to look at your life. You have the mind. You, you have the resources. You have the intelligence. You have the discernment. You have the emotional strength and stability to look at the direction a leader is leading and to identify in your own heart before God that is the direction we should go or that is not the direction we should go. And you can decide. And before God, he has given you that choice. I love Joshua's attitude. Back in Joshua 24, he didn't take responsibility to make everyone go the same direction. He needed to provide leadership. He needed to help develop unity. He needed to give clear direction. But he wasn't some kind of tyrant. It was their individual decision either to follow God through him or to not. And I want to tell you, I don't care if it's President Trump or Vice President Biden, President-elect Biden right now. I don't care who's in office. I should never relinquish my responsibility to live my life the way God wants me to live. And far too many Christians have checked out. They have completely checked out in influencing their communities, in standing up in their schools, in standing up in their work. And we want to blame the Democrats, or we want to blame the Republicans, or we want to blame the government. You, before God, you have the ability to choose how you live your life. And far too many citizens, far too many of God's people we relinquish that great privilege and responsibility. And we're like a 12-year-old blaming a 4-year-old. Well, God, they, you can't control every law that's passed. But you can sure stand up and love people. Hey, what, what am I talking about? Let me talk about the issue of abortion. You understand there are people that have had abortions that God loves and God wants to save and God wants to heal. Come on, we need more amens than that. God loves people. You, you, you can't change a law. You're not on the Supreme Court. You're not in Congress. I, I get that. You can't change a law, but you know what you can do? You can love people, and one day God might let you love somebody that, had, that made a decision that maybe they regret or they don't understand or they're confused about, but they don't need someone to beat them down. They need someone to share the love of Jesus Christ with them. And far too many people have checked out, and we want to blame the government for everything that's not right instead of just living our lives the way that we're supposed to. Proverbs says this, righteousness exalts a nation. He's not talking, this, I'm finishing up. He's not, talking about a, he's not talking about just the king. He's not talking about just the person in charge. He's talking about the responsibility of every individual to live their life. Now here's what can happen. You can relinquish that responsibility in your home, in your marriage. Yeah, you have a spouse that's not following God like they need to. The other spouse has a responsibility to say, I can still follow the Lord Jesus Christ with my life and I'm gonna do that. You can say, as a, as a child, my parents don't always make the right decision. You can still follow God, have a good attitude, show respect, pray for your mom and dad, be helpful around the house. Amen, you can do that. You say, sometimes churches can go wonky. And guess what? I'm imperfect. Okay, man, is that bumming y'all out that bad? I thought y'all already knew this. We've been over this a couple of times. I'm not perfect. I've had people come and talk to me about stuff. Hey, I think something different about this and about this. And sometimes I don't agree. Sometimes I do agree. You know what I'm thankful for in every situation? 
I don't have some kind of special access to God that you don't have. No, you, you follow God. The direction that they lead does not determine the direction that you live your life. You have the power to choose. Young people, I think about this, far, far too many young people allow their friends to have influence over the direction that they live their lives. Young people, far too many, far too many young men influence the direction and the attitude. But it's not just them. It's far too many moms and dads that let their coworkers influence the direction of their life. You tell your kids, don't give in, and then you do. You have to choose every day. The direction they lead does not decide the direction that you live. When I stand before the Lord, you know who I'm going to answer for? Me. And I won't be able to blame a single president. I won't be able to blame a single person in authority in my life for the decisions that I intentionally made wrong. Those will be mine. And you know what else? When I do the right thing, God can bless it. Even when the direction's going the wrong way, God can help his work to continue to go up if his people will just keep following. Let's all stand together. I understand the implication politically. I understand things are on your mind, but I want to ask you to look at that more privately and on an individual level. In your life, are there, are there things, are there attitudes, are there behaviors, are there misconducts that you are blaming on other people that you honestly, you just need to get to this altar and humble yourself and say, God, I need to take responsibility for the direction in which I am living my life. I need, I need to take responsibility for that. Um, listen, don't worry about what somebody else is thinking. You say, I'm worried if I, if I respond or if I raise my hand, people are going to think, man, something really crazy is going on. That's not the case. People are, have their heads bowed and their eyes closed. We all know that we're sinners, and everybody has something that they need to deal with, whether it's this or something else. But I wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed if there would be some that would say, I have relinquished control of my decisions to other influences or to other people, and I need to take back responsibility for how I live my life. I can't control everything, but there are things that I have stopped controlling that I need to start controlling again. My attitude, my faithfulness, my conduct, my effort, and I need God to help me. Would you please pray for me? I wonder if you'd raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. Yep, I see him going up all over. God bless you. Why don't we respond to him? We have the, we have the freedom to respond to him. And this morning, even coming to an altar and praying is a choice that you make. And so if God has spoken to your heart while Brother Nate begins to sing, if God has dealt with you, you respond to the Lord. Hear my Savior calling. I can hear my Savior Look, some are coming. You don't worry about what anybody else is doing. If God has dealt with you, you respond to him. If he gave you the courtesy of talking to you this morning, then you give him the courtesy of a response right now. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. I'll go with him, with him all the way. I'll go with him. 
sing one more verse. your attention this way. Praise the Lord for his goodness to us. I mean, that was a blessing. And sure am. I'm thankful for our veterans and thank you for your participation in that and just in making the time special and appreciate all the hard work that went into it. We'll look forward to being back in the book of Esther tonight and uh, getting back into uh, that series building on last week. And then uh, just appreciate your encouragement and your prayer and your love for one another. We have baptisms tonight, so we're excited about that have a few people that are getting baptized and excited to see them follow the Lord in that. Continue uh, to pray for our nation, but pray for one another. Miss Darla, man, I hope, I hope you get, are you good with people hugging you? Oh yeah, okay, just making sure. So if you want to give her a hug, she is open for a hug, amen, and she would certainly appreciate that. Well, Brother Nate's going to come and lead us in a final song, and then you are dismissed. family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this sod. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. Amen. You are dismissed. We'll see you tonight at 5 p.m.